Good morning, church. So thankful to be with you virtually again. Today we're going to be able to talk a bit about vision. Now, if you were here last week or you had the opportunity to watch last week, last week we had the opportunity to work through a mission statement. It's, it's a mission statement specifically developed for Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, but one that should be reflected by faithful churches around the globe, even if things would be slightly differently said if uh, another church were to format it. This is what we talked about last week. The gospel of Jesus Christ compels us to worship, serve, and learn about God, and by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, to take that gospel to our community and to the world. Now, if you missed that sermon, I hope that you'll maybe go back and take a look at it uh, through the Facebook page or the church website. Just figure out a way to take a look at that service. We talked about in that message the motivation for the Christian life, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is about the fact that it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that motivates us to do whatever it is that we do as Christians. We are motivated by the gospel. The finished work of Jesus is what propels us. It compels us to worship him and to serve him and to serve others and to learn more about him and to tell other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all based in the gospel. Now today we're going to be talking about this vision statement and, and this is what we hope to see the Lord do in our midst. This is what we pray that the Lord might do in our midst. This is what we need to see as a church. This is the vision statement. We desire to lead people to know Jesus Christ as friend, Savior, Lord, and God. Let me read that again, a little faster this time. We desire to lead people to know Jesus Christ as friend, Savior, Lord, and God. So let's take a look at this whole thing and, and break it down bit by bit and understand it in the light of what it is that the Lord says in the Gospel of John. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 17, and we're going to read just a little bit of John chapter 17. We desire to lead people to know Jesus Christ. Now John 17 verses 1 through 5 helps us to understand this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to those whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Amen. What a gift it is to hear God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we consider briefly eternal life, knowing you, the only true God, and knowing Jesus whom you have sent, we pray that you would speak. We pray that you might work in power by your Holy Spirit so that we might understand what it is that we are hearing, what it is that we've just read, and that we might know eternal life. Help us to know Jesus and rejoice in knowing him. 
We pray that if anything that I say doesn't come from you, that you make it fall to the ground and pass away and be forgotten. And we pray that everything that is from you, that it would remain and strengthen our trust in Jesus. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. This section of Scripture is the section of Scripture that was most quoted by Reformation hero John Calvin, specifically verse 3. Bob Godfrey, a mentor of mine and a former president of Westminster Seminary, he says that this is no doubt John Calvin's favorite verse of Scripture, his life verse. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is a verse worth memorizing. It's utterly beautiful. This is eternal life. This is the reason that we want for people to know Jesus so much, because to know and have fellowship with God the Father and God the Son, this is eternal life. This is what life is all about. Anything else that the world might offer to you, anything else that any kind of good or ill-meaning person that might offer to you other than Jesus is not eternal life. It won't be eternally satisfying. It won't be eternally God-glorifying. But what God offers you is the greatest thing in the world. Knowing him. As one Christian once put it. Knowing Jesus is the best way to live. And it's the only way to die. Knowing Jesus is the best way to live and it's the only way to die. And the reason it's the only way to die is that knowing Jesus is eternal life. Knowing Jesus leads us to life that's to the fullest Knowing Jesus means that we're able to live life everlasting. And this gets at the heart of why leading people to know Jesus Christ is what we need to see. It's why we need a vision for the most important thing in life, being knowing Jesus and seeing people know Jesus more and know him better and know him more deeply. This is a simple truth, but it's not simplistic. Because God is, uh, is beyond measure, because God will never end because he is infinite. We will never get to the end of knowing God. And that means that only him, because he is infinite, can be infinitely satisfying. Knowing anything else, if given a lifetime, and a lifetime, and a lifetime, and a lifetime, if given an eternity, anything else is going to let you down. But God, there is always more to know. Because God is infinite. Knowing him is eternal life. Let me put a finer point on it. Eternity is in the balance and this is why we need to know Jesus. It's why people need to know Jesus. And the fundamental question that this congregation needs to ask, the fundamental question that you need to ask is this, why do we exist? Why do we exist? Why do I exist? Why do we exist as a church? Why do I exist as a person? And the answer is this. The purpose of our existence is found in the fact that Jesus that he came to earth 2,000 years ago, that he came to Bethlehem, that at 30 he began his earthly ministry, a ministry that was filled with opposition, and that it was ended by him being betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was falsely accused by the religious authorities, and then he was put to death by the Roman political authorities. And then he rose again from the dead. And then he rose again from the dead. 
And if you know him, if you trust in him, then you're saved from death. You're saved from sin. You're saved from the devil because he defeated all of it. Church, people need to hear this. Church, people need to know Jesus. May God be merciful to us and work so that we never become the sort of place that would be no different had Jesus never risen from the dead. May God be merciful to us and make sure that we never at any point simply become a social club or a Christless religious gathering or any other such terrible thing. May God be merciful to us so that we are always the church and never anything else. When I was in high school, we had the opportunity to take a great, uh, a great choir trip. We went to Rome and we went uh, all around Rome. And we went to church after church after church after church after church that had become museums. And many of them, it didn't seem as though any kind of ordinary religious functioning or services were even held anymore, but they became places that charged admission, places that were certainly beautiful, but places where, where worship had ceased. They had become museums. This is what happens when we lose a vision for what it is that we are called to. Knowing Jesus... And may God preserve us from ever becoming a Christless place. Because that's death. And knowing Jesus is everlasting life. May we be about the business of knowing Jesus and making him known. So who was Jesus? Well, in the rest of our time together here, we're going to work through a couple of ways that we should know Jesus. This is an exhaustive list, but it is an important one. Knowing Jesus, his friend, Savior, Lord, and God. So let's take these one by one, working through what our vision should be. Seeing people know Jesus as friend, Savior, Lord, and God. So first, friend, John chapter 15, verses 12 to 17 tells us about this. Here's what John 15 says. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Isn't this a striking passage? Jesus calls his disciples friends. And he says that his friend is someone who does what it is that Jesus commands. This means that you can be a friend of God. This means that you can be a friend of God. This might be a truth with, with underestimated importance. We talk so much about the friendship of God. Oh, I mean, may, maybe. I, I don't. Oftentimes, in sort of general evangelical Christian experience, we talk about the fact that God is a friend or can be a friend, and the majesty of that statement is lost on us. Do you know what a big deal it is that God can be your friend? I can illustrate it in this sort of way. Uh, when I was in college, one of my good friends, uh, his father was the mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. His father then went on to be the governor of Tennessee. 
And so sometimes I would go down to Tennessee along with my buddy Will, and we would hang out with his dad, the mayor, and then the governor. And something amazing would happen whenever we would go into uh, different restaurants, right? It, people knew that this was the mayor and then the governor. And so it would be something like this. You know, we would walk into the restaurant together, and there'd be people, you know, all over here. They'd be eating. And we'd come through the door, you know, over here. We'd walk in, and he'd be in the front, and I'd be in the back kind of looking around. And something amazing would happen. All these people that were sitting would, uh, you know, be eating. They'd go, and then they'd start whispering to each other. And then you'd start hearing, it's the mayor, it's the mayor. It's the governor, it's the governor. And then you'd hear it spread through the, through the whole place, right? And people would be elbowing each other, and everybody would be turning and looking at us. And, you know, we'd be shown to our table by a very nervous host because this was the mayor or the governor that was coming in. And I would be in the back, and you're like, yeah, that's my friend right there. Yeah. Yeah, Governor Haslam, yeah, I'm with him. Yeah, we're together uh, for, this, for this event here. I have never in my life felt more confident than I did when walking into a restaurant with the mayor or governor of the state of Tennessee. And the reason was because everyone wanted the attention of this person who was an authority. I felt like I was an incredibly important person as well. This is a, maybe a, a little tiny fraction of a, an example of what it's like to be friends with God. Do you know that it's not, just, it's not just a mayor of a city, it's not just a governor of a state, it's your friend, it's God. It's God. What do you have to be, what do you have to be afraid of? What kind of perceptions of other people do you have to worry about if God is your friend? What does it matter if the whole world is against you if God is your friend? Tolkien puts this in a wonderful way in The Two Towers. Is one of his characters say this, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. God wants to be friends with you. You have, you have the praise of the most praiseworthy in the universe. This is above all rewards if you trust in Jesus. The one who is most praiseworthy, the only one truly deserving of praise, wants to be your friend. This is why Psalm 118 says, the Lord is with me, what can man do to me? You can have wonderful confidence because the most praiseworthy in the whole universe desires to be your friend. So we desire to see people come to know Jesus as friend, but not just friend, but also Savior. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus came with a purpose. 
And that purpose was to save. Jesus is a friend. But if that's all that he is, then you are in trouble. If Jesus is simply a friend to you, then you are in trouble. You need a friend, but you need more than a friend. You need what Christ alone offers. You need salvation. And there is no other friend in your life or in the world or in the universe apart from the Lord God, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ who can save you from your sins. Every single one of us has sinned against God in the things that we have done and in the things that we have left undone. And we have a holy God who is so all-surpassingly holy that he cannot abide sinfulness. We need salvation from sin. We need our sins removed from us. And the name that Jesus was given is because of the fact that he came to save people from his sins. Do you know your own need? Do you know that you need to be redeemed? Do you know that you need to know Jesus as Savior? First Timothy makes this clear. Let me read to you a few verses from First Timothy here. It's Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly on, on, and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst. Notice that he says, I am the worst, and not I was the worst. This is important, because he starts talking about how he was a persecutor of the church, that he was an opponent of the Lord Jesus. He's not saying that at that time I was the worst sinner. He's saying, right now I am the worst, and Christ Jesus saves. He knew of his own need. Do you know of your need? Do you know that you need not only a friend, but you need a savior? And do you know that only Jesus saves? The humility that characterized Paul as a sinner in need of a savior should also characterize us. We need to know that we need more than a friend, not less than a friend, but more than a friend. We need a savior. And so we need to see people trusting Jesus, knowing Jesus as friend and Savior. But not just friend, not just Savior, also Lord. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, for Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That's the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? 
Because if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that, that he's raised from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are going to be saved. So what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? It means that he's the king. It means that he is the sovereign. It means that he's the one who gets to determine how it is that we get to live. When I was in college, I went for four years to Wheaton Christian Reformed Church, and there was one youth group leader who asked me to disciple a young man who was in that congregation. She said, he wants Jesus as friend, but he does not want Jesus as Lord yet. And I thought that was such an insightful way of putting it. I, d does that characterize anybody that's here today? Anybody that's watching today? You want Jesus as friend, but not Jesus as Lord. We want somebody, uh, sometimes Jesus to be our friend. Sometimes we even want Jesus to be our savior, to take away our sins, but we don't want him as Lord. We don't want him being the one that determines that which we get to do, that which we need to avoid. We don't want him saying this is right and this is wrong. It is hard to give up the lordship of our own life and to say, God, you set the direction, not me. You are going to be king, not me. You have control of my life, not me. That is hard to do. Here's a difficult truth that Christians must live with. There are things that we are called to by God that we might not like. There are parts of Scripture that we might not particularly like. There are times where Scripture comes at us, and Martin Luther says sometimes Scripture comes at us, as our adversary. And that means that sometimes there are words spoken in Scripture that in our fallen nature we want to reject. That's not the sort of thing that we wish Jesus might have said. But if he said it, we need to make sure that that is de determinative in our life. Because Jesus is Lord. Russell Moore says, if you read the Bible and it never offends you, if it never calls you to change, then one of two things is true. Either you are Jesus or you are reading it wrong. Either you are Jesus or you're not understanding it. There are things that might be uncomfortable for you to believe. There might be things that, that Jesus is calling you to that might be hard for you to do, but you are not in charge. You're not the boss. You're not the king. You're not the Lord. Jesus is. And so we desire people to know Jesus as friend and as Savior and as Lord. And we desire people to know Jesus as God. This is the last point. Jesus is God. Here's John chapter 20, 24 to 28. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hands in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Thomas recognized in that moment seeing the risen Jesus, that Jesus was Lord and God. You need to know Jesus is God. This is one of those sections in Scripture that's clear. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. It's clear throughout the New Testament. Jesus is God. He and the Father are one. Jesus is God. This is why it's amazing that Jesus can call us friend, this is why Jesus can save to the uttermost and save eternally. This is why it is eternal life to know him. 
This is why he is the Lord that is above any other authority and king because Jesus and Jesus alone is supreme. Savior, Lord, and God. You know, as we bring this to a conclusion, there's just one thing that I want to make note of here. This is, the, this is what we need to see in the church. We desire to see people to know Jesus as friend, Savior, Lord, and God. But notice, notice the word people. It's not that we want others to know Jesus in this sort of way. It's not just that we want uh, people that don't know him right now to know Jesus as friend, Savior, Lord, and God. We need, we need to see people knowing Jesus in this sort of way. And that means you need to know Jesus as friend and Savior and Lord and God. Look at your own heart. Do you rejoice in the fact that God is friend? But you've forgotten about the fact that you're going to be saved from your sin? You need to know him as Savior. Are you thankful for the fact that you have a wonderful Savior, but you you keep holding on to your own vision for life? You're having a hard time following God and what it is that he would have for you? Have you placed yourself as the controlling force or power in your own life? You need to know Jesus as Lord. And do you know why knowing Jesus is eternal life? Because he's God. Let's you and I acknowledge today that we need to know Jesus as friend and Savior and Lord and God. Let's acknowledge that today. Let's live it today. Let's live it always, because Jesus Christ is friend and Savior and Lord and God, and knowing him is eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess today that knowing Jesus is the best way to live and the only way to die because this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Help us to see people, including ourselves. Know Jesus as friend and Savior and Lord and God, and rejoice in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.